0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast about business brought to you by Breaking Views, the opinion and financial arm of Reuters. I'm Dasha Afanasyeva, a columnist in London. We're still in the thick of the coronavirus pandemic. Much of the developed world, including here in Britain, is living through its second wave. Meanwhile, companies are trying to assess how it will change the world once it's over, if it ever does end. Chief among them are consumer goods giants, grappling with the prospect of a deep recession, as well as potentially drastic changes in customer behavior. We're a lot more likely to shop online because of the lockdowns, but will it stick? Consultancy group EY has gone straight to the source and asked the consumers. Its future consumer index questions 14,000 people monthly in 18 countries, including the United States, Canada, France, Saudi Arabia, China, and others. Christina Rogers, EY's global consumer leader, joins us now from New York. Welcome, Christina.
1: Hi, Dasha, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being on the podcast. Would you please start by explaining how this index works and why you do it generally?
1: Sure, of course. Well, you know, back in February and March, when, of course, Southeast Asia had started to experience this earlier in, in China, uh, but much of the rest of the world was starting to get into the thick of Um, being hit by COVID-19, and the governments and uh, so on were imposing lockdowns, it was pretty clear early on that consumer behavior was going to change. You know, that might be in the short term, the medium term, or the long term. But we wanted to understand what was happening right then and there at the point when this was starting, and then be able to uh, go back into the marketplace and test the same um, you know, ideas and the same research with consumers as they were moving through uh, the pandemic. And clearly things changed. Some of the lockdowns have been lifted in some places, some are back uh, in other places now. But we wanted to have a pulse on what sort of, uh, you know, consumer behaviors were going to be temporary and perhaps, you know, we'd revert back to what we were doing quote, before or which changes in behavior would start to become more permanent, in which case many companies, be they retailers, consumer products, et cetera, would have to respond to those permanent shifts uh, because they, you know, are coming on thick and fast. And so we want to see what is sticking and what do our clients need to do about it?
0: And, and what is sticking? Um, how a customer priorities changing in in the longer term?
1: Well, certainly, you know, we're seeing now as this bears on, um, you know, one of the things that's coming forward is a number of consumer segments are being economically hard hit, as you would imagine, and they are really reducing consumption. And so we're seeing much more focus on um, just essentials, putting off uh, purchases that are more discretionary or things that are uh, needed right now. And even for those uh, purchases that are uh, considered essential or are in the basket right now, price is certainly becoming more of a driver in terms of the way uh, shoppers look at what they're interested in buying. We've seen about, I guess, 41 percent of consumers cutting out non-essentials. And, you know, that's a big amount of of one spending or what we used
0: to spend. That is a lot. And that's, is that uniform across geographies or is other big variations?
1: There's some variation around that, but in most of the, you know, West, I would say Western Europe um, and in North America, it's, it's, you're seeing the same trend. I mean, you know, we've about 50% of consumers are also um, postponing big, big ticket items and replacement of, of big things around their home, et cetera, as well. So, we're really seeing a slowdown in just what consumers are willing to spend on. And something that I would like to just keep an eye on is how much of this becomes a permanent reduction in consumption or, you know, as consumers realize they need less, they need to replace things more often. They're comfortable with, um, you know, a new shopping basket that they've created and they realize they could save more money or have money for other things.
0: That's interesting. And what does that mean for consumer goods giants?
1: You know, I think there are a number of um, headwinds right now for uh, many of these companies. And you know, it, it certainly would look different category to category. You know, depending on what uh, categories the company participates in. But you know, certainly um, we're seeing you know with the big shift to e-commerce uh, throughout. The pandemic, and you know that has a number of um, potential challenges for consumer products companies. So first of all, you've got the shift uh, for those that participate. You know, more in the grocery space, you have an incredible shift um, of consumers moving towards online shopping for their grocery purchases. And I know in you know places like China and even the UK, this was a well-established habit for you know much of the population. For larger um, larger um, consuming uh, countries like the United States, this has been quite new. And we've seen kind of over 50% of consumers buying groceries, uh, you know, newly online uh, since the pandemic started. And, you know, some large proportion of that saying that they will continue to do so um, going forward. And I think, um, you know, it presents uh, risks, right? This change in behavior presents clear risk for Um, many of these companies, because what we're seeing is another habit establishing, which is um, 49% of consumers are really just going back to their past purchases, right, or using the, you know, repeat purchase button wherever they're shopping. And so, as you can imagine, that creates some clear challenges about getting into that basket if you're not there already.
0: Yeah, and so how do you get into that basket? And I mean, and does it also mean that uh, once you're in there, you're going to be You're going to sort of rest on your laurels and you're not going to get as much of a challenge from independent brands, which I know has been an issue for consumer companies. So is there a silver lining in that sense?
1: Um, I have to say, I'm not sure. The jury's out, I would think. I mean, some of the questions that come to my mind, um, if I'm a, you know, a branded good. That's not in that basket, you know. Yeah, how am I going to get into that basket? Um, you know, if I'm not there, some of my usual tricks of the trade, you know, in- incentivizing trial of my p- new products or getting consumers to trade up to a higher price point, um, th- that's difficult if I'm not even in the consideration set. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just from some personal experience from doing some online grocery shopping myself here in the United States. You know, I've noticed some very interesting things where, you know, I personally will go back to my past purchase list. So I fall right into the (laughs) I could be in this uh, research because I'm exactly as we're describing. I go back into my past purchase. And what I've noticed frequently is that some things will even be unavailable, right, that I'm used to purchasing. Mm. Um, And some replacements will be suggested. And almost always those replacements are the private label or the store brand of the place where I am shopping so you know there there are some challenges in terms of if you've got me as a consumer very much trained you know to go back to my past purchases and to be shopping there and not to be looking around I think our CPG companies are going to have to really rethink um, some of the traditional uh, marketing tools that they've had to
0: get consumer attention. Yeah because I mean a lot of the companies I write about um, particularly Spirits and cosmetics have been focused on the strategy of premiumization, which means persuading customers to pay more for products that seem sort of more upmarket and fancy. And from what you're saying, it sounds like they've just got to kill that approach and that's just not going to work in the coming years. Do you think that's fair?
1: I think it's fair to say for some proportion of the population, because I think, you know, one of the things that we've learned you know more recent round of research with the future consumer index is that you know very few consumers expect to revert back to pre-crisis behavior anytime soon so you know 37% of consumers globally you know expect this crisis to impact their lives for another year you know that rises to 43% in Europe 66% in Japan And so, you know, in terms of going back to you know pre-pre COVID, you know, consumption patterns and interest in new things, you know, I'm a bit leery of that because even despite government efforts, you know, to stimulate spending, 64% of consumers are telling us they don't want to buy products they don't need, and they're only buying essentials. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, you know, it's not clear to me where the premium strategy fits for a large proportion of the population. That said, you know, there are consumer segments. um, They're much smaller that really do value high quality and, um, you know, brands that they trust or bring them something that they're interested in perhaps you know, some entertainment value or something that makes them, you know, enjoy life more. And some of those, you know, brands that you're talking about um, are are clearly fitting in that category. But I don't, you know, I think they will have to rethink um, the way in which they get noticed by the consumer and, you know, what what delights the consumer to and what makes them spend more.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is that uh, such a phenomenon as the lipstick effect, you know, that, that you sort of will still Pay a lot for affordable luxuries, even in, down, in a downtown, because you can't afford to replace your car or go on holiday. Um, so I wonder if we'll we'll see that happening. Are there hints of that yet, or is it too soon to tell?
1: I think it's too soon to tell, at least with the data that we have. I mean, we're starting to triangulate on what else is out there, uh, yeah. but I think I think we're still in you know really uncharted territory right now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to this question question of premiumization, if it's going to be a lot harder harder to do, what is the data telling you is the alternative, particularly for the likes of, you know, Reckitt, Perno, Pernod, Diageo? Um, you know, how do they get through this successfully according to your data?
1: I mean, there are a number of things they could do. Uh, you know, they could start to think about you know what is the pack price architecture that they have. Do they have the assortment to meet, you know, current consumption needs and spending habits and where the consumer is buying from? So, um, you know, depending on, you know, how the consumer is buying, that will look different. Um, In some cases, you know, there's been vast assortments and different, you know, SKUs, et cetera, because consumers are kind of perusing the aisles. Well, that looks different now. So what is really needed? Um, You know, are there things that they could be doing differently? You know, and I think if there are categories that they... Um are invested in, and those are moving significantly to online purchasing. you know, how do they've got to really think about how to be in the basket more frequently, how to be in that past purchase basket? I think that that's clear. You know, and I would suggest you know at a strategic level, really looking at the entire portfolio. So do they have brands um, that can successfully differentiate beyond price? because I think we're saying, well, you know price is here to stay for the foreseeable future as a key criteria for purchase. Um, and if they do have um, those brands in the portfolio where that's possible, you know, how do they influence a shopper um, to buy their brand? You know, I think all of that is changing. And so, you know, there's a number of, um, you know, looks at the, the portfolio, I think, that we'll want to see these companies doing, um, you know, and frankly, you know, there's that. But there's also the companion piece, which is, you know, do these companies really viscerally understand the customers, the consumers they're trying to, to serve? And do they have a, a mindset that if they don't have the right categories and products in their portfolio, you know, it, do they have an ability to prototype new things, you know, launch and learn and, and have a fast fail mindset? Um, you know, I, I, I would be looking internally to see, you know, where the organization is from that perspective.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Um, Unilever's uh, third quarter results, for example, it's sort of, you um, you know did really well and had four point four percent growth. and then you you drilled down and you realized it was because in these in these three quarters, on these two quarters, they managed to launch new project uh, products for you know cleaning the home or for sanitizing things in different countries. So they were getting all of this extra uplift that they weren't getting in the first two quarters, um, which was interesting. um and the the other thing about Unilever though, and a few other companies that they, is that in recent years they've really, Uh, prioritised having purpose and their environmental credentials. And and Unilever specifically has actually said that they think that uh, consumers will be choosing products based on these sorts of ESG concepts and on how ethical a company is. Um, And and that will drive drive growth. Do you think that's also in the back burner? I mean, to what degree do consumers care about the environment now versus you know, six months ago or 12 months ago.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and one that, you know, most of these companies are starting to struggle with because if we go pre pandemic, it was clear that that was a direction of travel that um, they would need to go. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's still a consumer seg- segment out there. So even within our research and analysis, we see globally, you know, 17% of consumers are very aware of the impact that their choices have in the world and are willing to pay a premium, you know, for higher quality, ethically sourced and sustainable goods. So, you know, that's not a small number. I mean, that's still, um, you know, positive. But I I think that you're right to say that, you know, for now, for many um, segments of people around the world, because of the economic impact, then the strain they're feeling you know, price is certainly important, and it's almost a mindset of, well, you know I'll get back to to you know saving the planet, you know when I'm feeling better about my personal economic situation. And you know I don't you know that's not surprising because it is you know to to you know many of those products for now are more expensive, you know if if they can be proven to be um, sustainably sourced and um, you know I, I, I as a consumer have comfort, in that claim is is true. Um, But, you know, we might see some trading, you know, if we feel, you know, we'll watch how all of these trends come together because, you know, to the extent that consumers are also realizing that certain things they used to buy are unnecessary or their, you know, their basket of goods altogether uh, in terms of their purchases is going down, they then may be willing to pay a higher price or invest more in the things that they actually care about and the things that they actually need so i think this trend is here to stay um, quite frankly and i think you know consumer products companies would be wise to start thinking about how to integrate that mindset of um, sustainability um, throughout the entire organization you know and i would assume that in a few years time you know this will be just like digital you know we used to talk about well these companies need to integrate digital across the entire value chain I think you know they the, and we don't talk digital anymore. We just think these companies are digital. I think that will be the same here, where this will be something these organizations need to make a pivot to, and sustainability will built be built in across the organization. Um, and we know that consumers are still interested. I think it's just on pause for right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the um, the difference with with going digital is that it's more it's more black and white isn't it whereas with sustainability there are so many varying degrees and it's sort of there's so much room for improvement even for the really um good companies but it's it's funny what you say about that because i guess the irony is even the you know even if consumers care less about uh sustainability or prioritize it lower right now you know below price i guess the irony is that if they're consuming less and if they're not replacing um, <laughs> you know, items, then they're actually, um, doing you know, good. Indeed, do, yeah.
1: <laughs> indeed, you're you're absolutely right to point that out. That's that's true. And I, you know, I, people will reflect. People who care, I think, will reflect on these sorts of things. You know, there's, you know, let's talk about fast fashion for a minute. You know, th- that is also an industry which has been troubled by some of you know the more recent um, information provided to consumers about you know, where that, where some of the fabrics come from, what happens to them afterwards, landfills are filling up with these things, you know, and to your point, now, you know, many of us are buying, you know, less in terms of, you know, apparel, or less in terms of handbags and footwear. And so indeed, we may, we may be helping ourselves, even if we're not really thinking about it, you know, consciously.
0: Yeah, apparently, it's all sweatpants. Um, Correct. (laughs) uh, These days, but I guess
1: right. And and wearing the same ones every day.
0: Yeah, it's very glamorous times. Um, But I guess to pick up on that, I think the uh, I wonder if you think that there's a, a disconnect between maybe what investors are prioritizing and what customers are prioritizing because I've definitely seen that um covering there's this British company called Boohoo, a fast fashion online only company that was found to sort of have bad labour practices and is, you know, trying to do things to to improve. But there was, you know, that its last results um, you know, after this scandal, and it was a scandal and it was all over the papers. It revenue went up more than forty percent or forty five percent. And you just sort of felt like there's know there's what the investors are saying and then there's what the consumer thinks and the consumer wants you know cheap stuff or you know that their consumer wants cheap stuff um
1: yeah and I think there'll always be a segment of people for sure that you know that is their priority because that is really only what their budget can allow but you know I think technology will push this along as well so I don't know if you're aware in france there's a uh, i think the number one downloaded app now is an app called Mm yuca and it's quite relevant to your sector in that um it 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 curates uh products based on sort of nutritional uh for food especially nutritional value or you know fat content or what have you and you can very easily scan Codes of products, and Yuka will suggest other products based on your personal uh, aspirations or your personal choice or your, your maybe fitness goals or what have you. Um, and so that in the end, uh, you know, you get a you might have depending on what you decided you wanted when you first started shopping. Yuka might tell you to buy a completely different basket and optimize all of your you know objectives. And you can you know I can imagine how that. Once the data is available, so we know the data in food, right? That's already provided on labels, right? The calories, fat content, health, nutrition, all of that. But you could see where that moves to um, impact sustainability and impact on the planet, where, you know, once the data is available, that yucca or something else not only optimizes my basket based on nutritional desires, but also based on Um, sustainability and impact uh, on the planet Mm. and if it becomes table stakes to some extent and consumers don't need to pay more or don't want to but it you know companies are more exposed um, the ones that you know need to work on it will may just have to absorb that um, cost and perhaps there is no premium that that's just the way things should be.
0: Yeah that's interesting I guess yeah, I get I don't know if it still feels like a long, long way off. But hopefully I
1: agree. I do think it's a long way off. But I think if, you know, those companies, they need to start now because yeah. this is going to be a journey. Absolutely. But I do think um, the more that the brands. So I don't know Boohoo. Um, I don't know you know, what kind of person shops there. But as the mainstream brands, when the, there's becomes more uh, clear and obvious information available to consumers, um, about those products, about the impact they've had on things that consumers care about, I think then we'll see, you know, the, the traction and yeah. the push towards um, ensuring that certainly the the big brands are where they need to be on these issues.
0: Interesting. Right. Well, I guess I guess the other the other um, question I wanted to ask you about is a bit more. Abstract, and I just wanted to ask, sort of, from the the data, the consumer data that you've been seeing, where, sort of, where are we at? Because you know, in the beginning, it felt like you'd sort of have the crisis and the turbulence, and then, you know, it would end, and you know, there was, and then we'd go, and people kept using this phrase, new normal, and it got really overused, and now we're kind of, you know, reading your data and reading about what's happening in the consumer goods sector it feels like we're not going to have like a crisis and a post-crisis that there's just it's just all possibly going to blur into one and depend on sort of what geography you're in etc to what degree do you does the data tell you that consumers are sort of still in crisis mode
1: um yeah i'm just reflecting on that because you know it's almost to your point it's a sort of circular answer to your question but (laughs) crisis mode is just daily life now. So, you know, it's certainly depending on where you are in the world. And for me sitting in the United States right now, you know, we're back to sort of early summer levels of, um, the, you know, the the number of uh, positive virus responses and so on. So, and if you think about it, I mean, it takes, what, 21 days, they say, to form a new habit. Mm-hmm. And 66 days to make it an automatic thing. So most of us who've tried to get into a you know regular exercise routine have been told this and know this. Um, but you know, in some cities in the U.S., you know, we were fully locked down right in our homes, not able to go out for over 100 days. And now it's been you know even over 250 days since the first case of the virus was detected in the U.S. So there's been you know plenty of times to form all sorts of new habits that I believe will stick. Um, they're not going to be going back to sort of the old normal. Um, To your point, this is becoming the new normal. And I think consumers and people are just figuring out, you know, how to do the best they can um, and live, you know, the way we live now. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it's here to stay. And, and, you know, that data I quoted earlier about, you know, people – believing that um, their life will be impacted. Um, I think I said 37% uh, believe that this crisis will continue to impact their lives in the same way for at least another year. Yeah. So, you know, I think we need to take the trends. So we started this research, you know, you asked the first question, why did we start doing this? Well, it was really to see, you know, what was going to be temporary and what were going to be more established and new consumer behaviors. And I we didn't know, right? We thought, oh, maybe this will be over in three months. All of this will be for nonsense. But I think we're seeing now. No, this is here to stay. Many of these changes are going to to be cemented, and so organizations need to take these things seriously, um, and understand how they need to be pivoting, um, so that you know they maybe don't come out the other side differently, but they just exist differently because we're all going to exist differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I get that's all quite um pretty sad ideas but I guess the silver lining is that your research was not a waste of time.
1: <laughs> and, and <laughs> well it's I think hard. you know for, for <laughs> some you know I agree we don't want to be all sort of doom and gloom although I have to say I'm still working from home I su- assume you are too and yeah. both of my children are doing online only school Um, with, you know, winter in sight rather than summer in sight as we had last uh, spring. But, um, you know, I think there are some interesting opportunities for um, companies here, you know, depending on, you know, how they choose to act. So, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is um, consumers are statistics, customers are people. And that was a U.S. businessman um, who was on the board of Neiman Marcus, which was, of course, a high-end and a high-touch um, co- company and, and one of the remaining retailers, you know, department storage retailers here in the U.S. And you know, I think that that extends today where data collection is making it very possible for um, these companies to really viscerally understand their customers. And we're finding in our research that... Um, customers are increasingly, and I can't say, I can't pick out the uh, European data, which may look a little different because of privacy concerns are always a little higher there. But most consumers around the world are increasingly willing to share their their data, um, certainly for um, purposes of defeating the uh, virus. So whether it's contact tracing or where have you been or I've been tested or, you know, and all of those sorts of things. But they've, over this time, they've also been become increasingly willing to share their data for um, commercial purposes. So, um, you know, looking for promotions for them specifically, looking for recommendations for, you know, healthier products, looking for tailored online experiences that appear to be just for them. So there are some you know, new opportunities that you know, companies can look at, but they certainly need to be pivoting to be geared up for it in terms of being able to use all of the data that's available, um, you know, in a more strategic and insightful way um, to give a a consumer a more customized experience.
0: Fantastic. So there are some silver linings for companies. Christina, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Uh, It's really fascinating stuff and I hope hope that it gets things get better where you are and stay stay healthy and well.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for the invitation and, and same to you.
0: Thank you. Thanks. That's our show for this week. I would like to thank my guest, Christina Rogers from EY and our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks goes to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, Views Room on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix, Check us out every day on breakingviews.com and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition.